Samaritan, and I have a subtitle, The Purpose of This Parable. What is the purpose of this parable? I will challenge you when you leave here today, when you have time, to later today or this week, just Google the Good Samaritan. You're likely to come up with about a half a million different hits if you have enough time, from sermons to devotions to all sorts of stuff. And I will challenge you to see if you find a message like this. Remember what we ask when we come to Scripture? What what was the message that was intended by God? When I was in the seminary, Dr. Sproul would say it this way. This was powerful. He would say, Tommy, I want you to remember that there's only one meaning in each scripture passage. There's one meaning, but there are countless ways to apply it. There are countless ways to apply this parable, but it has been completely misunderstood by so many in the church, commentators and pastors and preachers and... So you're going to see what is the message of this parable. Why did Jesus teach it then? And who was Jesus speaking to? Okay? Let's take a look. Hear now the word of God. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant infallible word. Let's pray. Father, no one is here by accident this morning. Everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, a word of comfort for those in storm winds and a word of rest for the tired, weary, and heavy laden. All things to all people, that all in the sound of my voice, who are not saved, would be raised from death to life, both in this sanctuary and out on the Internet. Father, we ask that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Okay, what do you think of, before we show you the three points, what do you think of when you hear the term Good Samaritan, right? There's some things that come to mind. You think of somebody who's charitable. You think of somebody who's hospitable, right? Somebody who's who's very helpful. 
There are hospitals that have the name Samaritan in it, right? There are parachurch organizations and ministries with the name Samaritan. We all understand what the word Samaritan means to us today. That's not what it meant back then. So the very first thing that we have to do is get where? Inside the story, in its cultural context at the time that it was preached. That's the first thing we have to do. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews and the, and, and, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. You might remember, we've talked about this before, 722 B.C., the Syrian exile. There were some poor Jews left behind and they intermarried. And they, and they intermarried and they bred children and they became half-breeds. So the Jewish nation hated the Samaritan half-breed nation. They would be cursed out loud in the synagogues. The disciples were befuddled when Jesus said we must go through Samaria. No, a Jew would cross the Jordan twice to keep from going through Samaria. John and James said, Lord, shall we call fire down from heaven and destroy these pagan people in Samaria? And a few weeks later, what do we see? They're preaching the gospel in Samaria. So we've missed something here in this message. So we have to pause and and ask some important questions so that we can understand what Jesus is teaching in the purpose of this parable under three headings. Number one, what it is not. Let's see what the purpose is not so we can be clear. Number two, what it is. And finally, number three, why. This has practical and personal application to all of us today. In this country. Okay? Watch this. What the purpose is not. The point of this parable is not social justice. Do you know that the Good Samaritan is the proof text, one of the proof texts by the social justice advocates? Did you know that? This is one of the texts that's being used. The social justice movement here has hijacked the biblical teaching of what the responsibility of the Christian truly is. Let me, let me give you a couple things that, that this is not. First of all, one day, God is going to overrule social justice with divine justice. Are we clear? That's, that's the foundational understanding of what's happening. One day that will be overruled by divine justice. To it, this passage has nothing to do with social justice. It is all about salvation. It is a Jesus is personally evangelizing the lawyer. Are we going to pull from that some aspects of how to deal with our neighbor in society? Of course we are. We'll talk through that. But that's not the message of the Good Samaritan. It's not a redistribution of wealth. It's not giving to the government so that the government can hold people captive and giving to those that have not. That's not what this is. It was never God's plan that everybody would have an equal share. God's plan is eternal life for the sinner. This is his unfolding plan of redemption. So we ask a few questions. Where was Jesus headed? To the cross. Say cross. What was in the mind of Jesus? Say cross. Cross. 
Jesus was standing in the shadow of the... Everything is about the cross. This cannot be a message of social justice. He's speaking to one who believes he is saving himself. So the point of the parable has nothing to do with that. But we'll pull from it in a moment. It's important that we get this. Take a look. 25 to 28, the context. Teacher, what must I do to inherit what? Eternal The whole thing is about eternal life. You can't, if you look at scripture as a brick wall, look at the back wall, put all a bunch of bricks in there, right? All the scriptures. You take a passage out and you look at the brick and you go, oh, okay, this is good. I like this. And you interpret it and you, and you teach on it and you tell your children at home or you tell your neighbor and you tell your friends and you don't put that brick back in the wall before you do that and see it in light of the passage and the chapter and the book and all of scripture, then you've taken it out of context. People do it all the time. They find something in there and they make it work for whatever their agenda is. We can't, this is one word from one God to one world. All of it fits. So this passage is teaching what? He's asking the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus sends him where? When we talk about doing something, where do we go? To the law. Sends him to the law. Sends him to Sinai. So he's going to say, how do you read it? You're a lawyer. How do you read it? Love the Lord your God, the great Shema, right? Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he goes to Leviticus 19. And love your neighbor as your... He knows the law. In his mind, he's keeping the law. He's a law keeper. He's a lawyer and an expert in the law. He's a scholar in the scriptures. And what scriptures did they have? Say Old Testament. They had the Hebrew Bible. They didn't have the Bible you have right now in your hands. They had the Old Testament scriptures. He was an expert in the Old Testament. He understood what it said, and he believed in his heart. He was keeping it. Now, you ready for this? Verse 28. Watch. Jesus says, man, I'll use the modern vernacular. That's an awesome answer. You rock. It's exactly right. Now, ready? Do this, and you will live. Pause. Can I put the do this and you will live in its context? It would be like me asking you to define the universe and give me three examples. Could you do that? You say, no, I couldn't do that. That's the whole point. He says, do this and you will live. But he thinks he's doing it. And he thinks he's living. He thinks he's okay. He thinks he's got this nailed down, but he's going to come back with another question. He's going to come back, and he's going to move now. He's going to move, he's going to move his argument into a different realm, but Jesus is going to capture him again. Notice a couple things, okay? Social justice is nothing more than a legal way to enforce the government's control over people. That's not what this is about. The socialists want to take money from those who are working and give it to those who are not. That's not what this is about. This is not a redistribution of wealth. That's not what this is. This is a message of salvation. How must I be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's how the parable is introduced. On the heels of that question. Okay? Jesus does not go from salvation to social justice. Eternal life requires the fulfillment of the entire law vertically. And then, of course, horizontally. 
You know what some people have even said about this, just so that we can be clear? You know, this is a message of learning how to go to people on the other side of the street. There's even another message that people will tell us in this. This is, this is a message that is teaching us that we need to get inside the mind of the robbers and find out why they did what they did so that we can enact some kind of program to get them to stop beating and robbing people. That's fine if you want. Those things are fine. This is good. That's not what this is teaching. There's nothing to do with this. And people have twisted it and they have reduced it to a social justice message. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay. We, we clear on what it's not. Do you, you remember last week when we talked about the, the widow's might? Remember we just touched on it on the screen? Can, can I make something perfectly clear? Listen to me carefully. Do you want to know the number one passage in all of Scripture that would, would, would refute social justice? The widow and her might. If the Bible was teaching social justice, the widow wouldn't have put in her two mites. She would have pulled out a half a dozen. And she wouldn't have been given it to the temple. She'd have given it to the government. Do you understand? She needed help. But God honors what Jesus says. She put in more than anyone because she put in out of her lack, not out of her abundance. And he honors the woman. It's not social justice. Going across the street to help someone who is in need is not a social justice agenda. Do you want to know what it is? It's the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what it is. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Always and in every way to everyone. Okay? So we're clear on what this is not. Now let's launch out. What is it? What is this about? So we've got to go back to the passage in verse 29. And what do we read? This guy wants to justify himself. Well, what does that mean? So we ask, and who is my neighbor? He asks this question. He wants to shrink. The, he, he knows in his mind who his neighbor is. He wants to find out if Jesus is on board, if they're in step. Jesus is a Jew. He's a Jew. He has a basic understanding of what neighbor means. So he wants to know, is this a trick question here? Or am I still good with this? So justification, just so that we can be clear. A couple things. First look. And who is my neighbor? What, is that, what does that imply? Can you hear it? What does it imply? It implies that there's a non-neighbor. Is that possible? No. It's not possible that there's a non-neighbor. That's part of the whole point. Why are you asking? And who is Everyone is your neighbor. But he wants to shrink it down to a small group. He wants to drop it down to the smallest possible denomination. So he brings in this question and he asks, who is my neighbor? But to justify, I want you to know why we understand this as Paul preached it in Romans. Who went on a missionary journey with Paul? Say Luke. 
Luke understood what Paul knew in justification. So Luke and Paul were step for step in understanding what it did mean to justify. So when Luke writes, but he wanted to justify himself, what is he saying? The same as Paul. He was asking, how is he right before God? My righteousness needs to be able to stand before God. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's justifying himself. He doesn't need a savior. He's his own savior. He doesn't have an issue with sin. Sin is the Gentile pagan world, not the chosen people of God. He didn't have an issue with this. So he's trying to justify, justification, to be right before God. That's the context. Let's go to Leviticus 19.18 so that we can at least not feel super bad about the lawyer. What did he kind of understand as a neighbor? And then we'll make him look bad in a moment. But right now, let's make him look okay, okay? Okay. Do not seek, Leviticus 19, 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your... Uh-oh. So now look at, look at, look at. It's been shrunk down. There's a category. There's a category of people. So now you're inside the commonwealth of Israel. Yes? Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your... So in the context of this passage, who's the neighbor? Say it. These people. You understand that? So he understands that. But what do we know about the religious leaders? They hated most of the Jews. They didn't love their people. They hated them. They bound them with all sorts of rules and regulations and, 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 and hated their, unless you were in their little group. So he didn't even do what he was supposed to do from that perspective. Jesus knows that. He knows that. But at least there was a category, okay? Got the category? All right. Psalm 139, 21 to 22, we need to bring this in because there is an issue. There there is an outside group. So let's take a look. Do I not hate those who hate you? Have I nothing but hatred for them? I count them as my enemies. Remember the conquest of the promised land? They're almost commanded to hate the Canaanites. It almost seems to suggest that. We hate those who hate you, God. But Jesus is going to show him how this curse is being reversed. And how what you misunderstood in the Old Testament, how do we know it was completely misunderstood? Abraham was to be a father of what? One nation or many? So who was his neighbor? All nations. Just had to understand what what, what the Bible was teaching him. So they reduced it to, to the lowest common denominator of Israel. And then in Israel, they had their own groups and they had their own sects. So he says, I hated those who hated you. Now what does Jesus do? He flips the whole thing upside down in the Sermon on the Mount and does what? He takes them below the letter of the law to the what? To the spirit. The spirit of the law. Watch. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. (laughs) But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay. Got it? So there's, what is this now? What is this all about, this whole story? He's trying to justify himself. He says, listen, I love my neighbor. I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. 
Okay, good. And I love my neighbor as myself. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Okay, okay, good. Now I'm going to give you a story, and I'm going to show you you don't. Ready? Now the story. Very briefly, who are the players in the story? Let's take a look. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Just a quick point of interest. 17 miles approximately, the road drops about 3,000 feet. Jerusalem is above sea level. Jericho is below. Jerusalem, the picture of the heavenly city, right? Always coming down from Jerusalem. Down into what? Jericho. It's a bad place. Bad road. Lots of areas for robbers to hide and to spring out on unsuspecting passerbyers. But it was a bad road. It had a name. It was, had a couple names called Blood Road. Uh, called the Red Road. So it was, it was a road that you knew you weren't supposed to travel, certainly not alone, okay? But wait, wait, wait. But remember, people say, well, let's get into the mind of the priest and find out what he was thinking. So they'll ask me, well, maybe the priest was thinking that he didn't want to defile himself. Pause for a moment. The priest wasn't thinking anything. Why? The priest is made up. It's a story. The priest had no thoughts. Jesus was telling a story which had nothing to do with what you're asking about the priest. It's about salvation. Okay, so it's a story, right? This isn't a real, it's a story about salvation. Ready? A priest, can you, can you see that a priest just happens to be going by? Isn't that an amazing statement in Scripture? He just happens to be going down the same road. Well, we call that providence, but often we say what? Boy, good luck. Thank God that happened. Just perfect timing. This is providence. So Jesus says he's going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. The priest is what? Lost. Got it? So they're thinking, okay, this isn't good. This story's not working out the way we're playing. He's speaking to Jews. He's speaking to priests, religious leaders. This priest's really messed up. So now Jesus says, oh, I got some more for you. So too, the Levite. Oh, this is good. This, this has got to be the guy. This will be the hero. The Levite, I'm, 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 I'm not a priest. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer and a scribe. I'm from the tribe of Levi. This is good. But when he came to the place, he does what? He passed by on the other side of the road. The Levite is also, oh, man. Well, now maybe Jesus is just going to talk about me. But when you came upon the man, you, you would, what does Jesus say? Ready? You got to get this. A Samaritan. Stop. Are you kidding me? It's a punchline. I remember first hearing this from Dr. Sam when he preached it and we were chatting about it. It's a punchline. The Samaritans were hated. He's preaching to the Jews and he's saying now the Samaritan is going to do what the religious leaders refused to do. You want to put it in a cultural context, substitute the word Samaritan for any group of people that you might feel uncomfortable being around or, or even mentioning for the, 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 the ISIS soldier saw them. Just put anything in there that you'd like. Make it contemporary. That's the whole point of that passage. The Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. They cursed each other. They even killed each other at times. Okay? So now, who's the hero of the story? The one who has no business being the hero of the story. 
But it's a story. Jesus is making a point. Okay? He saw the man. He took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine on him. He put him on his donkey. He took him to the inn. And he took care of him the next day. So he spends the night with the guy. The next day he gave two silver coins to the innkeeper. Pause. It's been estimated that those two silver coins would have kept him for about two months. Based on the cost of the inn. So figure what it would cost to put somebody, so contextualize it today, make it contemporary, that you're paying for somebody to be in a hotel for two months. You have to get the understanding of what Jesus is teaching. He's getting to the heart. He's getting to the heart of this man. He's evangelizing. Remember when he spoke to Nicodemus in John 3? Remember the rich young ruler? It's personal evangelism. He's diagnosing where they are. When we speak to the unbeliever in the community, you can't just start with a sinner in need of a savior. You need to diagnose where they are. If they have a basic Jewish framework, then you can go right to Genesis 3. You can go right to the sacrificial system and the cross of Christ. But for the most part, you can't do that today. They don't have the same language. They don't have the same understanding. They're not starting from the same place. So we have to understand this context. So imagine putting somebody up for two months. Would you do that? But notice what he does. He leaves. He says, but I'll be back. And I'll reimburse if you spend any more. He just saved the guy from death on the road to Jericho. What does he do right now? He saved him from slavery. What do you mean? If the man doesn't pay for him and the innkeeper cares for him, now the innkeeper owns him. Because he can't pay his debt. So the man not only saves him from life on the road to Jericho, he saves him from slavery, from the innkeeper. He says, when I come back for you anymore, I'll give you anything else you need. This is so bizarre, the audience is now outraged. You've just hammered the, the priest and the Levite, and you tell us this guy? The lawyer is beside himself. He's, he just... Those trying to justify themselves are lost. doesn't matter who they are. We don't know what happens to the Samaritan. We don't know about his love for the Lord, his God, his heart. Listen, do you know how many people in the world, in the church, in the church, following a social justice gospel who believe they are saving themselves because of all the good they're doing in, in society? Let me tell you something. That is as far as the east is from the west. If you, if you, followed, if you followed this formula perfectly, you still haven't dealt with the vertical. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? That's the very first aspect of the storyline. He says to the lawyer, you, you don't love God. And you don't even love the narrow portion of what you think your neighbor is. You hate your neighbors. And, and don't some of us? I'm not alone in that, am I? Some neighbors I don't like. And there's some you don't like too. Don't, don't. See you later, you'll come and say, Pastor, you're right. I didn't want to say anything out loud. I knew I was being live streamed. And maybe they're watching. Now I love all my neighbors. We can't do this. That's the whole point. Jesus says, go and do this. He should have fell on his face before Christ and said, I can't. I can't do it. But we, we don't know what he does. It's, it's open-ended. Why? It's speaking to you and to me. So, final point. Why? 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 Why the parable? 
what it's not, what it is, and now why. Which of, oh, don't miss this. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Long time ago. Really, not that long. When we launched, I was walking through the closing evangelism uh, invitation, and Dr. Ron and I were talking, and I'll never forget the line. Especially in this cultural context, you have to get them lost before you get them saved. You under, I didn't fully, I, I understand. That's what Jesus just did. He got the guy lost. He gave him the bad news. You think you keep the law. You're not even close to keeping the law. You have no idea what the law even says. You think you're keeping it? He had to dismantle this guy's understanding of the law. He had to get him lost. So that's what he's doing. It's evangelism. Personal. From Jesus to the lawyer and everyone who's listening. Which of these do you think Jesus indicts the entire Jewish religious establishment in bringing the priest and the Levite in? But now he focuses on the man and he looks him in the eyes and this is exactly what he was trying to do. You ready? He wanted to shatter his self-righteousness, pummel his personal pride, and crush his condemnation of others. That's the gospel. Jesus says, you have no idea how far away from God you are. You're lost. You're without hope. You cannot do this. That's why I'm here. 1037. The lawyer... Notice, he's at, which one is the neighbor? Notice what this guy does. You want, to see, you want to see his heart? The expert in the law says the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say the word Samaritan. He hates him so much. Who, who does that remind you of? What do you hear the echo? You hear the echo. You know you hear it. Prodigal son. Prodigal goes off, spends all of the papa's wealth. He comes back, papa sacrifices the fatted calf, has a celebration. The older brother, the older lost brother's outside. What does he say to papa? You're for this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, you sacrifice the fatted calf on me and you have a celebration? He couldn't even call him his brother because of his self-righteous hate. So he condemns himself. I, I guess that guy that had mercy on him. So now Jesus says what? <laughs> Excellent. Go and do likewise. Uh, Romans 7.10. If he just, we don't know what he does. We don't know. It's open-ended. It's open-ended. So what does Paul say? Let's put it together with Paul. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Death, death, death. The threefold, the threefold usage of the law from Calvin. What's the first one? It's a mirror. It mirrors the righteousness of God. So when you look in the mirror, what do you see? If you see something you don't like, you see a little dirt, you look in the mirror. Can the mirror help? No. The mirror tells you the condition but the mirror can do nothing for you. The law cannot save. It drives you to a savior. Calvin was right. It mirrors the righteousness of God so you can see how far you fall short of it. 
So Paul says, for sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment, put me to death. What was the point of the law? Not to get you saved, but to get you run into a savior. Uh, what? Close. Don't miss this. And I told you I'd bring you back to a little bit of, of what does the text say? What does the text mean? What does the text require? If you're already saved, if you're not saved, come see me. We're going to do an invitation. We're going to get you saved. But if you're saved now, now what? Now what do we do? How does this have a practical application in our lives with our neighbors? And who are our neighbors? Say everyone. Say everyone. Who's our neighbors? Everyone is our neighbors. There's no small group. You can't reduce it to a group you're comfortable with. Not just those you love or those who love you or those you like or those who like you. Everyone is our neighbor and we're called as the church to minister to everyone. Now, watch this close. Don't miss this. Watch what Jesus does again. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor? Uh-oh. He's changing the question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? How do we know he changed the, changed the question? Go back. Go back with me. We have it on the screen. Look at 29. That wasn't the man's question. What was the man's question? He wants to know the narrow group that falls under the category of his neighbor. But Jesus doesn't answer that. Jesus, Jesus is always answering questions with questions. And that's how we're supposed to evangelize. You keep asking questions to do what? To keep bringing you closer and closer and closer to the issue that's truly in the heart. You want to get to the heart, not the head. You got to get out of the head. You got to get to the heart. What is the heart issue? Why do you not like God? Why do you hate the church? Because you've been wounded. We want to get to the wound. We want to get to the real issue, so we got to get to the heart. So Jesus shifts the question. He doesn't answer it. Which of these three do you think was a He's changing the man's thinking. I just want to know who's my neighbor. Ready? The question we need to ask and answer is not who is my neighbor. Rather, the question we need to ask and answer is, am I a neighbor like this to everyone all the time? That's the question. Not who's your neighbor. Everyone's your neighbor. Are you a neighbor like this? Imperfectly, but is this your life? Do you care for those who are down and out and hurting? So I told you we'd make it personal and practically applicable. Ready for this? We'll get in the minds for just a moment, okay? Because we can. In the story, there's three major players. So in the minds of the robbers, what are they thinking? Remember, this, this is personal now for you and me. The robbers say, what's yours is mine. I'm going to take what you have, and I'm going to. The religious leaders say, what's mine is mine. That's mine. The Samaritan says, what's mine is yours. Beloved, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. He said, what's mine? Is yours. My death. Your life. And now you're invited.
to come to Christ by grace, through faith, not a man-centered work, but with a heart that beats right now for the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says to you, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, come, he says to me. I satisfied the law. I paid the penalty for your sin. And my Father in heaven received it and said, It is finished. And three days I walked out of a grave alive. To make it clear to you that my Father said, I approve of all that you did. Debt paid. Salvation one, come to Christ. Come to Christ. Now, tomorrow it may be too late. Today is a moment of salvation. By grace through faith, cry out to Jesus. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And salvation is yours this day. If you've never prayed, pray with me now. Father, If there's anyone in this sanctuary or anyone by way of the internet who has never surrendered control of their lives to Christ, make this a moment of salvation. It's a very simple prayer, and prayers don't save, but it's easy to walk through a formula in a prayer that goes something like this. Oh, God, I heard the truth today. I cannot save myself as hard as I try. I cannot save myself. I can never love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't love my neighbors. But I've learned today that the gospel truth says I don't have to. I just need to fall on my face before you. And cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Then the power of the gospel that will raise me from death to life will give me the power to begin to love you and to love my neighbor. Oh, God, may that be the confession of every person who hears my voice today. The salvation of every single person who hears my voice today. For you came to save that which was lost and for that we thank you and father for those who've walked for decades help us to keep walking by faith and not by sight trusting in you alone for all things and may we leave this place transformed reaching out to all those we come in contact with with the truths of the gospel meeting both physical and spiritual needs For the sake of Christ, amen.